Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Hey everyone, it's Adam Carolla and welcome to another episode of Going Racing, the show that highlights the fastest cars, best races, and biggest celebrities in the automotive world. This week, we'll take a look back at my interview with Patrick Dempsey, McDreamy. Let's have a listen. Patrick Dempsey in studio, the documentary Hurley, available on digital and on demand, uh, coming up uh March 26th, that is uh, this Tuesday. I very much enjoyed this uh, documentary. I knew a little about uh, Harley Haywood, but I did not know as much as I know now. So congratulations. Yeah, thank you very much. It's been uh, five years to get this thing done. It's a it's an interesting – I mean, there's so many great stories out there, but it's perfect for Patrick because Patrick loves racing. He loves endurance racing. He loves Le Mans. Harley Haywood between Daytona and Le Mans and Sebring is – a legend and the story is he was gay the whole time but he couldn't couldn't come out yeah and he had a partner for 20 over 20 years and uh, you know it was uh, a fascinating journey for him to be able to compartmentalize that and then he shows up at the track and he's he's able to perform and then everybody was good it was sort of people knew about it but no one really talked about it they gave him enough respect for that and then he his, wanted to talk about it. His partner, I mean, he had a partner, and then he had a racing partner, partner named Peter Gregg, who, of course, was a womanizing sort of <laughs> Jim Rockford uh, meets uh, meets pimp kind of kind of guy. And uh, it, I don't know. And then people thought they were gay for for a little yeah. while, which uh, wasn't wasn't true. And then tragically. Uh, Peter Gregg, his, his driving partner, you have to have an endurance racing, ended up killing himself at some point after an, a street accident at Le Mans, right? That's right. He had uh, rolled the car over at Le Mans going to the track and never really fully recovered. Must have been quite a bit of uh, brain damage in there, you know, with what we learn now with what's been happening with the the impact with football players. that It threw him off completely. He was never able to, to drive again. And because of that, really lost his identity and never recovered. He was a dominant race car driver who built his world around dominating this mm-hmm. sport. They called him Peter Perfect. Like he just won so much, and then all of a sudden he gets in this accident and he loses it, and he just can't cope with not being that person anymore. And he right. literally just kills himself. Yeah, couldn't couldn't handle it. It's such a tragic, wow. uh, really such a tragic. tragic story. So, and Hurley Haywood's going strong. I don't know how old he is. He doesn't. He looks great. He's he's fantastic. He was out here for the uh, premiere the other night at the Peterson, and uh, he's slowing down a little bit, but he's really open, really positive, and it's been a great experience for him to be able to to talk about this, uh, to come out, if you will. And um, I'm, I'm happy that he's doing so well. And his partner, Steve, is doing great, too. So do, do you um, – I know you're running – your team runs Daytona and Le Mans. You're running the uh, – We're doing the WEC. So we're doing the World Endurance <clears throat> Championship. Right. Are you, But you're not driving in it. Is that correct? Correct, yes. You've done Le Mans four times? Yes. And I think you finished up on the podium, second place in class in 2015. Was that – and then we won last year as a team owner, so finally got that done. Right. So that that is that for you sort of dream realized with Le Mans? 
With Lamar, yes, I think so. I think I went as far as I could go with my ability. You know, I would, if I was younger, had less responsibility, I'd probably still be at it and trying. But, you know, you just get to a point where it's like, you have to commit completely and focus on it 100%. Right. And with, you know, kids <clears throat> and uh, commitments otherwhere, other places, it's very hard for me to justify that. It hasn't phased Adam. Mm. <laughs> <clears throat> it's, you know, I mean, I'd love to do so. I'm going to get back into some sprint races and things like that for me to do endurance racing. No, I, I don't. Yeah, it's too such much, a, especially in the WEC. You're traveling around the world and you're gone all the time. Um, you, we used to be almost neighbors. You always had a Rhodesian Ridgeback. That's right. Do the you still beach- have a Rhodesian Ridgeback? No, I have French Bulldogs now. Two French Bulldogs and then uh, a rescue. I remember. But I miss my Ridgeback. I it's always dogs. remember Patrick uh, back. You know, you know the thing I like about following your career and 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 all the different variations and iterations of the career, and including racing, is uh, it's, a, it's a good time we're living in because it wasn't like I knew you when you were 19. I knew you when you were 34, but you still then went on to do Lama and do uh, be, become a Dr. McDreamy. And, you know, all, all, you got to be everything after that point. Like, you had a whole second life. I feel like maybe... I was the springboard. I was the back you stepped on. No, not inspiration. I'm physically the person you crawled over to to spring yourself to the the next stratosphere of of success. It all changed when you helped me pick my first toolbox, and my life changed for the better at that moment. It was... It was a a long succession of Patrick borrowing tools from me, and I, I think... You lived down the street. You you had a place that needed some help. Yes. And so you did a lot of – you got a cordless drill. You have a four-in-one screwdriver. You have a Sawzall. And at some point, I think I said, let's go shopping. Yes. And we went to the Home Depot in Hollywood. We did. I remember that. And we got the cart, and we're running around the aisles picking out stuff. He's like, you got to pick that out yourself. I can't help you there. You must That's your choice. Yeah. It's a very Obi-Wan so moment. It was. It was a transcendent moment. Well, I do. I have kind of a base kit of what every guy should have, or gal, if you're needing to take care of your place. Like, you need this somewhere in Certain your garage. go-to things that you need to keep your house operating smoothly so patrick just pushed the cart up and down the aisle and i've just start throwing stuff stuff into it and i i'm hoping you still have some i do i actually still have that toolbox by the way (laughs) i still have it i treasure it's got stickers all over it now i don't you were at that time doing we're talking about uh 1998 or something something like that you were working but you weren't on a you weren't on a regular on a on a series. I don't think you're doing no. like some movies. You're kind of I don't know at a, at a lull. Yeah, I was just a working actor. I was getting gigs here and there and and going off and do, but nothing that would really pop or do anything. And, and it was a Grey's Anatomy that really kick, I don't want to say kick started because you had a you had a you had a lot of success early on, and then you became a sort of actor just. A working, a working actor, actor, and then you became a star again. Yes. So Grays, we had shot most of the first season, and then we were a mid-season replacement. And I remember it, it came out in January, um, maybe 2005, something like that. And then I, the first time I realized that everything had changed, I went to Indy and did the parade lap. And that's when I was like, good God, everybody knows this show right now. And it changed virtually overnight um, after 15 yeah. years in the business. <clears throat> And so taking a team 
to Lamar. Tell me about that process. First off, just physically staying up for 24 hours. That's it, it seems fine if you're on drugs, but it's kind of a tough butt, like in general. Yeah. The race starts at four in the afternoon. And, and well, the whole week, I think you have to remember it's like it's it's at the same level as Indy. It's in the, Indy used to be when we were growing up. It was like the whole month of June. Right. Right. So it was this one long event at at Le Mans, You come in on the weekend, the, the week before and do scrutineering in the parade and you have an entire week of activities and, and testing and then you do qualifying and then you have the parade and then you have the race. So by the time the race starts, you've been up for a solid week. Right. So you're happy to get the race started so you can go back and, and rest before you get into the car for the first time. Did you physically in between the three drivers, y'all take take shifts, what would you do during your downtime? I, presumably you have two shifts worth of rest you could get in yes. but i don't know what you i don't know what how you could go to sleep in you, that instance it's really hard to go to sleep you go back and you sort of uh you go back to your, your you have like a little uh, camper or something that you hang out in and um you you watch the race you listen to the race and you have the radio in there so you can hear what the engineer is saying to the driver you know what's happening with the strategy and you try to just uh, calm your mind and uh, conserve your energy if you can it, it isn't really that bad until the following day. You've gone through the night. You feel good. The sun comes up, and you still have a long way to go. You know, right. it's a short night. Daytona is a much longer night race in many ways, much tougher in that respect. Because um, it gets dark at what time and light at what time in Daytona? Well, Daytona is getting dark in the afternoon around 4.35. The race starts that, and then you're racing through the night. And then, right. And uh, – in Le Mans, it's, just, it's in June, so you have maybe four or five hours where it's dark. Uh, and that's when it all goes down. That's when the race really begins is at night. And it starts – it rains oftentimes there too, yes. right? So it's dark and it's raining. It's dark, and- it's raining, and uh, you know, the entire – the pressure mentally, is it's much more demanding than it is physically. Because everybody's watching this race. This is the race that if you get into racing and certainly into endurance racing, it's the race you want to win. It's the race you really want to do well at. And as a team owner, how does the rest work on the 24 hours of Lamar or 24 hours of Daytona? Because now as a driver, you go, okay, you have two shifts. You got four hours or Right or three hours or whatever, whatever long that. How long was the shift when you did yours? You do you would do doubles and sometimes like <laughs> the pro drivers. It's broken up into gold, silver, and bronze. The gold being the best driver, like Patrick Long, mm-hmm. who's in it's a, a factory Porsche driver. Right, and he he would do the triples at night, uh, and then you'd come in, you do a single or a double depending on the minimum drive time that you have to have is at mm-hmm. least six seven hours, and um, you you get in the car, you do your stint, you usually come in. Do a full fuel load. Probably don't change the tires. The Michelin tires work really well, so you could triple stint those tires. And then you go back out. You get out of the car. You go. You shower. You eat. um, Go to the physio. You get a massage. And then you just try to calm down. Patrick would always fall asleep, so we always had to wake him up. He was so relaxed. He's done it so many times that it's much easier for him. But for the AM drivers, it's a little bit more challenging to keep yourself you know, focused. Yeah, because of the adrenaline. And as a team owner, can you wander off and take a nap? No, for me, it was really, last year, you know, I never left the pit. I would go, I would get something to eat, go to the bathroom, and then I'd come back and I stayed there the entire 24 hours, which was a great experience. 
Really love that. Because you're getting in and you're, you're listening to the entire race. And you're there in the garage. You're, you know, you're, you're keeping the team focused for the pit stops because you can't make a mistake at this level, even in a 24-hour race. If you make one mistake, that can cost you track position and ultimately a chance at winning the race. Before it was mechanical, a lot of mechanical right. issues would break you, but not anymore. Well, as I understand it from talking to some of the guys who've done it, which is – and I talked to Gurney about – Dan Gurney about this right. and stuff like that, which is, you know, in the past, part a big part of the strategy was saving the car. So it's a 24-hour race. You cannot destroy the equipment in the first three hours. So mm. he would talk about – you know, going down the Mulsanne straight in his Ford uh, GT40 and going, you know, 225 miles an hour. But then he'd have to get on the brakes, but he wouldn't get on the brakes. He would, like, coast and downshift and let the guy in the Ferrari pass him. And then so he was driving in such a fashion where he was trying to go fast, but to a limit, also thinking about the sure. equipment. Now, the equipment is so good now and all the – oils are synthetic and everything works now these guys can drive at nine and a half tenths versus six and a half or seven tenths so you go well that's good the car doesn't break but in terms of your concentration you're now driving like you're in a sprint race for 24 hours yeah qualies basically they're running qualifying laps the whole time they're going as fast as they can the big challenge is the multiple classes so there's the prototypes uh you know, LMP2, which is slightly slower, sort of has that body style of the prototypes, and then GT. So you have the Pro GTs and then the Pro M. So there's four cars that you're battling out there, you know, and trying to stay out of each other's way, and you have your own individual races, and then you have the overall race. But in a GT car, you're constantly watching in your mirrors to make sure you're not getting in anybody's way. Yeah, people don't realize that those guys are going, even as fast as you're going, they're going faster. And they're racing, and they're having a little race within their class. Mm -hmm. And it's also the hardest chargers of the group. Like you don't you don't get yourself into that group because you're chillax or your mom's side of the family's Jamaican, or you like (laughs) to blow a little spleef and listen to some Bob Marley. Like if you're in the fastest Mm -hmm. class out there. Be prepared for some pretty aggressive driving. Just it's a self-selecting group, right? So it's mm-hmm. like that guy who's trying to stay on the same lap as the guy who you just made room for down the Molson Strait has a guy behind him, and he's going to try to squeeze through that opening too. Exactly, because they're going to use the GT car as a pick, and you're going right. to use the prototype as a pick too. If you've got somebody behind you and you're racing for position, you're going to give that prototype some room to get in the corner, and then you're going to shut the door. And try to get a little distance out of the corner um, so you get some space between you and the, the person chasing you down. Right. You got someone on you and you can get someone between <coughs> the two of you. It, it helps a lot. Oh, it's, and it's <clears throat> that's the most fun is when you're working in traffic and you've got so much going on. It's nighttime and, you know, you're, you're in fighting for a position. It's like uh, there's nothing else like it. Nothing at all like it. Well – <clears throat> there is a downside to it. Yes, there <laughs> I'll is. I'll tell you the potential downside. Max Pat, I don't know what this is reminding me of, but I think when I did the Rolex Historics about four or five years ago, I was driving Newman's car. Oh. Whenever the one I went off the track and got uh, covered in gravel, um, it's because was I that was... the Datsun, right? That was the Datsun. <clears throat> 
Yes, Nissan, technically. Okay, but okay. I was chasing a guy in a nine RSR or nine thirty four or whatever some iteration of a of a Porsche, and I was like, we just went through the corkscrew, and I was like, I'm staying with this guy, <clears throat> and a guy in a 914.6 who we were lapping was like, I'm going to slide in. And I'm like, if this guy gets in between me and this guy is going to cause some separation. Cause even if the guy slides in between you for six or seven seconds, you'll see the guy in front of you just take off. Like you just immediately go, Oh, I'm pacing it down to the speed of a guy who we're lapping. Right. So we're, he's off that pace, and I'm going to have to stay behind him until we find a little room where I can safely get around him. So you tend to want to try things to get around him initially. It's like it's like a, a supermarket door that's closing, and your guy <laughs> you ran there. into the Gelsons, and you're like, I got to get behind him before I get behind the old lady. And the old lady's got the she's got the scooter cart, and she's sliding. You're like, I got to stay behind this guy. And sometimes the old lady sees you and gives you room. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes she, gives you the she doesn't see you. <laughs> What's an old lady doing on a racetrack? <laughs> it's a uh, metaphor. I the, uh, I'll let Max Zapata try to find that. I, I got again. it. Oh, yeah, it saddens me that it was that easy for you to find. All right, hold on a second. It's a screensaver. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going, this is going into one now, right? I'm following a guy in, I'm guessing, you probably know better than me, an RSR Looks like a Porsche. Yeah, that's definitely an RSR. That's RSR. I don't know what year that is, so it's gonna. And I have decided that I shall pass him. That I he was ahead of me quite a bit, and I I'd been catching him, and so I was like, all right, I'm gonna catch this guy on lap seven or eight, and I'm gonna I'm gonna get around him. Uh, sorry. <laughs> so you, you got the red mist right now. Right? This is what got you into trouble. I'm like, I, this guy qualified ahead of me, but I, I there was a reason, and I'm faster than he is, and I'm, I got a turbo, and he doesn't. Right. I'm going to catch him. Sorry. You can play. You got a little overshare coming out of that corner, too. Well, you know, I'm not a professional like you. <laughs> But you can hear that turbo. Yeah. Great. And he's got a Mustang or something in front of him, like a Roush Mustang or something. Yeah, you're, ter- you're catching him really nicely here. I, I think oh, you should have gone for it. I should have gone for it. But I got a little more power than he does. So right. I'm like, all right, I got time. We're going up into turn six? Five, maybe yeah. five. Turn a left-hander. And you can see there's a portion 914.6 at the top of the hill. And now I'm right up on the guy, and I'm going into the corkscrew, and I'm like, all right, now's the time where we get around this guy. And he pulled out ahead of me, and the 914 swung out, and I was like, all right, I'm going inside. Oh, and he's going to come back down. He came way, way back down. Yeah, that's easy to get sucked in there too because it falls away. So if you get on the outside where that where the nine fourteen was, there's no grip, right? And you're going to lose it. And I was thinking, I'm I got a red, white, and blue car that's as big as a Winnebago and it's loud. Like <laughs> it's he a should, monster. And he's he's on lap eight. Like he's got to know we're coming. He just got passed by the Whistler uh, Mustang. He just got passed by the nine uh, nine thirty four. He's got an, or the RSR. He's got to know we're we're coming. 
Right. That's the whole thing. But he took two, but he didn't know there were three. No, no, he didn't see you. He did not see me. <laughs> you got lucky there, though. I could have made contact with him, but instead, it was my fault because... Did bef- you? Yeah, you lost the rear end, so did you leave? let the throttle off? I just went... This guy went from the right side of the track to, oh, my God, he's coming all the way down. Like, he's going to apex this, and I'm trying to sneak through this. And I didn't touch the brakes, I think. I think I just went off the track. I didn't want to lock it up and start getting squirrely on the track. So, But I jinxed myself because before I got in the car, I was like, there's a bunch of dirt down there. Like, vacuum up this dust. Like, wipe it down. I don't like the dust in the car. And then it was like someone took a five-gallon bucket. Yeah, and yeah, chucked, all over at that just point. Just chucked it at me. And then I ended up staring at the crowd. The crowd just comes <laughs> over the bank and they look at you. Hey, how's it? Hey, love line. Hey, how's it going, show? man? Show. Yeah, look at that. Ooh. There's a lot of, lot of dirt in my car and then a bunch of people just taking pictures of me screwing up. This is the worst feeling in the world right here. <laughs> and you're strapped in and you can't yeah, move the car nothing. and you're just standing there like an asswipe and everyone's looking at you taking pictures. Yeah. Well, what are you going to do? You have to do it. Yep. At least you're racing. You're going for it. I was going for it. See? See, go big or go home. That was an A for effort from Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. All right. Well, there you have it. Patrick Dempsey. Check out his new documentary, Hurley. I highly recommend it. And tune in next week for another episode of Going Racing. New episodes available on Podcast One and Apple Podcasts.